So, Sarah, it's a Sunday. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling quite sleepy, I have to be honest. I'm um, feeling sleepy too. It's a bit dull outside. Yeah, exactly. Work impending tomorrow. I know. Oh, don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> so I decided this week that I would watch some MCU films because my son's decided he wants to watch Infinity War and Endgame. Okay. Well, I thought, why don't we watch those two films as a kind of intro for you? Because he's never been bothered about MCU films before. So why don't we watch those two films and then kind of actually start watching phase four, you know, all of the new films now, like that could be quite fun. So I suggested this to him. He seemed quite up for it. But then when I spoke to some friends, they've suggested that obviously are going to get so much more out of Endgame and Infinity War if you do the whole lot. So I said to Noah, look, should we just be in this for the long haul? Should we go all the way back to Iron Man and just do it? You know, I said, this is a big commitment because Mm. this is going to take some time, but we both agree we're going to do it. So we watched Iron Man a couple of nights ago, which I must admit is a belting film. It really is. I remember the first time. It was really good. How many Iron Mans were there? There were three three or two. There three, were three. There were three. So I don't really know what I've got myself in for there. I'm probably going to regret this decision because the other option was watching one of those YouTube summary films of everything leading up to Infinity War and then watching from there. Do you know which order they should come in? Because sometimes they have like Iron Man and then there's an Avengers film and then there's another Iron Man or something, you know, or like Thor, for example. That was one of the earlier films as well. So how are you going to do it? Are you going to sort of watch all the Iron Mans or are you going to know when they interlock, you know? When they... I'm going to do it in the order. They were that, released. Yeah, so this is as per Wikipedia. So Iron Man 2008 and then The Incredible Hulk would be the next one. And then Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America. Yeah, all the way through. How many are there? Oh, actually, do you know what? Now I'm looking at this list. I don't know if I've made a bad decision here. 23. Yeah, but it's a weekly thing. <laughs> it's 23 weeks. <laughs> and some days you might want to slip in another one. That's true. Actually, we may want to do this every weekend. So it's going to be more than 23s. But yeah, so that's going to keep me busy for quite some time. But aside from that, no new movies for me. All right. Well, I watched Stowaway. That was on Netflix with uh, Anna Kendrick and Tony Collette. And it was about a stowaway on a spaceship kind of unbelievable to be honest but mind you some of the the scenes in space are unbelievable because you just don't know what's out there really it was okay didn't blow my world (laughs) so to speak and then I watched Divergent last night which was good I've been meaning to watch it for a while and my husband hasn't watched them before so he quite enjoyed the first one but I have seen the ratings of the next two that they go slightly downhill so it's got Shalene Woodley Theo James and Kate Winslet in it but also it's got Miles Teller and Ansel Elgort as well so you've seen some of those two before yeah (laughs) doing drum movement for uh, Miles Teller who was in Whiplash, wasn't it? And Zoe Kravitz. So actually it's quite a young a few youngsters in that film that are now making it, which I think is really cool. And we saw Shalene Woodley in The Mauritanian last week. And Zoe Kravitz is in the, the new film Batman with Robert Patterson. She's going to play Catwoman and Catwoman has been played in the past by Michelle Pfeiffer. Halle Berry. And Anne Hathaway. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> three, yeah. I never knew there was three cat women. Anyway. 
Anyway, should we get on to today's film's reviews? I think we should. So what we're going to kick off with... Should we go for The Sound of Metal first and end on the major Oscar-winning No Man Lad? Let's do it. You saw mm. this before me. And I did. we know from last week's podcast that you liked it. I liked it, yes. So it's, it's a bit different. And I think the reason why I liked it is because they played around with the sound and the editing was really good. And funnily enough, it won Oscars for both of those, Best Sound and Film Editing. So Sound of Metal released in 2019, but however... It must have got impacted by COVID, so they only released it more recently. It was on Amazon Prime when I watched it, and I think now they're screening it on most online channels. But you may have to pay now, however. That's the beauty of Oscars, hey? (laughs) They make you pay more after they've won something. So it's directed by Darius Marder, written by Darius and Abraham Marder and Derek Cianfrance. Actors included in this are Riz Ahmed, Olivia Cook and Paul Racy. Yeah, so Riz Ahmed and Paul Racy were also up for Oscars for this. So it's about uh, Ruben and Lou. Lou's Ruben's girlfriend and they're in a heavy metal band and they have been for the past four years. However, Ruben, on one of the sessions that they're playing, discovers that his hearing is starting to play up a bit. And over the next couple of days, he really starts to lose his hearing and gets very worried, can't hear people talking at all. And it's obviously very disturbing for him. He has to tell his girlfriend and then they try and seek some help from a, um, I think it must be a deaf community, isn't it? And this is where we meet Joe Paul Racy, who is a Vietnam war veteran who I believe lost his hearing during that time as well. And basically it's a story about really understanding that Deaf is not a handicap and that deafness isn't something he can just fix easily because he does go to the doctors and really just wants them to fix it. And it's not something you can do really all the time. But in this community, there's children, there's adults that they are also deaf and he learns how to handle and learns how to be deaf, basically. And I think it's a lovely story and it's obviously troubling for Ruben, obviously, but really interesting concept, I believe. Rob, what do you think of it? I really, really enjoyed it. Um, Ruben, who was played by Riz Ahmed, I thought his character was just really interesting because it was very much about, obviously, his struggle adjusting to the loss of hearing. But it was so much more than that because it's almost like he had this idea in his head of how to, like you say, how to fix the problem. And what was fascinating about it was the idea that the problem wasn't that. You know, there was nothing to fix it's shifting your mind to live with a problem and like you say, not see it as a disability in any way or or an impairment that's going to stop you from living. So I thought that whole dynamic, you know, it's almost like swimming upstream against something that you can't fight. And I love the way that the penny almost slowly started to drop. Yeah. But as the audience, you don't get too many signs of that until the final part of the film he sees elements of his life start to change. So the relationship he has with his girlfriend, for example, changes. She pretty much forces him to go to this kind of retreat to try and sort himself out and start living with people with this similar impairment, which obviously he finds a huge, huge wretch because not only can he not play in the band uh, with her, he suddenly finds that he's almost lost her as a girlfriend because there's this separation. And then later in the film, when he eventually gets his implants and he thinks, right, going to get my life now back on track. 
when he then catches up with her later in the film, you can just tell they're not quite the same. That you know, they're not they don't quite gel. He recognizes that she's almost a different person or sees a part of her he didn't know before. And I just thought it was really, really well how they did these moments where he just butts up against things that are kind of telling him that you've got to change your life. You know, life is not now going to be the same. You can't fix it. I really like the way they did that. And as I said, I like the way, as a character, he spoke. It's quite unusual. It's quite staccato. He would think about what he's going to say, then he would say it, and then he would stop and kind of pull back. And that was just the way he spoke. And I just thought that was actually quite interesting. You don't normally see that. And the ending is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. I mean, obviously, can't look the same. It's sweetly done as well, the ending. It's a bit of an aha moment and a bit of a, yeah, that makes sense. But what I find really interesting in the film is that you're seeing everything from his eyes as well and his hearing because of the sound sort of dips and and you hear that sort of tinnitus kind of sound and and it then goes all muffled. And I think that's really clever. Never You've seen films about blind people and blindness, but I don't think I've ever seen a film about deafness at all. Have you? I I can't even think of a film that's around something that's deaf. I haven't. Sometimes you watch films where the sound changes maybe when someone's underwater or the sound changes momentarily Mm. with that effect of being inside their head. I found it really quite off-putting when you're hearing things from his point of view because it was so effective. I didn't like it. It's like, oh my God, can you use it? It was like, can you, Im- anxiety. can you yeah. imagine precisely? It's like it did its job because I really felt for him. It's like, oh, every time mm. it switched into that mode, I almost wince because it's like suddenly you just feel trapped when you hear the world from that point of view, hear those mm-hmm. sounds. It's really strange. And so I think it did a really, really good job to give you a tiny little sense of what it must be like for him. And that moment when he has the implants and he's sitting there and they turn them on for the first time. And of course, in his mind, he's imagining that as soon as they turn them on and calibrate them he's going to hear really clearly and of course that's not the case you do hear but it's not the same as it was before in an actual fact there's lots of distortion still even when you have the implants you have to learn to hear again with what you're hearing through the implants and that came as a real surprise to him it really kind of knocked him out and I thought that was a really really powerful scene because you could tell he had this sense of anticipation I fixed the problem I've got implants right here we go turn them on this is going to be great Mm. It's almost like in his eyes, you could see the hope draining away. It was almost like, well, you know, every time they tried to recalibrate it, can you? No, that's not right. No, that's not right. And you, and you started to realize, well, this is now just what life is going to be it. like for him. Yeah. yeah. He's damaged himself. Yeah. Even and more. Paul Racy, I thought, was superb. He was up for the Oscar, wasn't he, for Best mm. Supporting Actor, I believe. And he played that role superbly. As there was like that kind of like father figure almost, or someone wanting to try and convince him that the problem, as as we said before, isn't the deafness. The problem is how you see the world with being deaf. Mm. I thought that was really effective. I thought it was quite realistic. It would have been so easy to be a film where he totally bought into this idea. I mean, he butts up against the whole rehabilitation, which is very it's what you normally get in a film. And then there's the moment where he starts to see the benefits he starts to see his value in the group. And you think there's a turning point, which again is what you normally see in a film. But I thought what was really good is that he still wanted to get out. 
just when you thought, oh, actually, he's really now, he's tuning into this life. He realizes that he has worth there. Maybe he's going to stay on. No, just when you thought he was. No, he's still got a plan. He's still paying to go and get his implants and he's going to sell what he needs to do. You know, he's going to do whatever he needs to do, do it. Even when he has to ask Joe, he has to stoop so low to actually ask him for money. That was really yeah, awkward yeah. because it yeah. really just proved that he really hadn't moved on actually or he hadn't accepted it much at all. What what is great as well that these two, you know, Lou and Ruben, so Olivia Cook and, and Riz Ahmed are both British actors and they're both starting out really in their careers. I mean, Riz Ahmed is a rapper as well. So he's obviously got an ear, no pun intended here. He's obviously got an ear for music. I'm not sure whether he's been a drummer before, but Bayek, he really played that that those drums and you could just see the sweat pouring off him and his the muscles as well. I don't know whether he, he was that toned before the film, but the amount of effort he's, he put in into that drumming was amazing just wanted to say yeah. actually that opening of him playing the drums was amazing when I was watching yeah. I thought wow this is a hell of an opening so so yeah. good so I just had to say that because I forgot what an amazing start to the film it was I mean, we saw Whiplash and how, you know, how much they would sweat, you know, Miles Teller would sweat during that and how engrossed and competitive he got as well in that. And I don't know how drummers do it. It must, I could not do that. My arms would kill me after a while, but obviously after practice, they can do it for long periods of time. But doing, it's like a sport, I think drumming is. The amount of toning and exercise they put into it is quite unbelievable, really. I mean, we've seen Riz Ahmed in Rogue One, Night crawler and four lions and then we've got olivia cook that's been in ready player one she was artemis and samantha in that plus also she's done quite a few tv series as well but she hasn't done other major big films and i think she's doing some tv series at the moment and i think we're going to see a lot more of her and riz Ahmed going forward and they're definitely rising stars in my eyes so what we what are you going to give it I'm going to give it nine and a half out of ten i thought it was that good and when i watched the ending The great thing about the ending is I didn't see it coming, but when it came, it made, it was just perfect. It's just like, of course, brilliant, made total sense. And it was a beautiful way to finish the film. And I know I'm banging on about the ending, but I can't say anything about the ending. Mm. (laughs) It's another one of those that was like, I've got to watch this again because I'm sure second time around, you know, I, I reckon it will probably be better. Yeah. I've been toying what to give it to be, and do I give it a nine, nine and a half? And I think I'm being a bit, I'm going to give it a 10, actually, just because it's so different and different perspective. I think it's a great concept as well. It's not really a concept, is it really? It's, it's out there, it's done, it's, it's delivered, and the sound was really cleverly done, and the acting was great as well. So I am going to give it a 10. It's a little bit quirky in places, I would say, but I, I think I'd be too stingy not to give it a 10, really, from my perspective. So yeah, really a really great film to watch, and I want to watch it again as well. There you go, maybe we can watch it, we can watch it together. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> of all the Oscar films that we've reviewed so far, this is definitely the best this is my favorite out of all the oscar films death by far yeah um i mean promising young woman is good and minari was nice and 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 good as well but yeah this goes beyond that i think 
I'm now intrigued to know what you got from Nomadland. <laughs> <laughs> Lower score, maybe. I don't know. Okay, right. Well, let's just move straight on to Nomadland, seeing as we brought it up. Uh, okay, so yeah, this film won Best Director for Chloe Zhao, who also wrote it, and based on the book by Jessica Bruder and Francis McDormand starring in this, won Best Actress, and it also picked up Best Picture. So as I say, based on the book and adapted, directed, and edited even edited can you believe it by chloe zao yeah that's it's just incredible incredible. i mean after watching nomadland i just i almost found it quite poetic i think i described it it's like a kind of an ode to modern day american heartland i had that real feel about it so when you describe the film it does sound quite depressing but i don't think there's any other way of describing it because go go for it so i mean what we have is francis mcdonald who plays fern She is grieving the loss of her husband, who she loses around a similar time to when the town that they were working in, a town called Empire, was effectively wiped out due to this industrial collapse. So when we pick her up, she's packing her stuff up and leaving this really eerie place with nothing other than her possessions and and an RV and a van. And Really, the whole film is based upon her becoming this modern-day nomad. It's a story of her traveling along, getting seasonal jobs at RV parks or Amazon fulfillment centers. And along the way, she kind of creates these friendships. But more importantly, she starts to kind of pick up the trail of this nomadic group. And their chief organizer, a guy called Bob, is there to help people become part of this community. And the whole ethos behind it is that it's a bit like kind of a backpacking trail where everybody takes the same route and you see each other from place to place. It's the same kind of idea as as these nomads. And they might be there for a week, but they might be there for a month. They might be there for longer. They might pick up a job. And so she's introduced to this way of life. And what's really kind of quite enchanting about it is that it's shot in such a real way. It's so realistic. I mean, obviously, Frances McDormand, we all know, is so, so good in these roles where, you know, it's all in the gestures, it's all in the eyes, it's all kind of what's going on beneath the surface because there's not a whole heap of dialogue. But apart from herself, almost, I think, all of the other cast, the nomads, are actually just playing themselves or a version of themselves. And so it's almost, for me, like you're watching a documentary at times. It sits in between a feature film and a documentary documentary you have these kind of moments when they're all sat around a campfire and they're just kind of talking to each other telling anecdotes or they might be kind of singing songs or or then the next moment you know you're learning that one of them is actually suffering from cancer and the next moment oh crikey there's something wrong with my rv i need someone to help me fix it otherwise what do i do you know that they're dependent upon this way of life and It was a real eye-opener, first of all, to that whole world. But for me, I just found it 
really engrossing. It is very slow moving. It's that kind of film. If you want a film with like high drama, that this isn't it. It's not like that at all. This is almost just like a window into this world. You feel like you're just kind of observing what's going on. And along the way, she meets this guy called Dave, who takes a liking to Fern, and they strike up this friendship. And he helps her out with the job. And she actually goes to visit him when he decides he's going to go and see his son who he hasn't had quite the relationship he's wanted because obviously he's gone off on the snowmad trail and he's settled down and Fern almost like persuades him to do that when his son turns up once where they're working and he goes decides to go and stay with them and then whilst he's there he invites Fern and it's a really interesting moment in the film because Dave has decided that he's not going to continue on this life as a nomad And at the same time, because clearly he's got this affection for Fern and you're never quite sure whether it's reciprocal, you know, he kind of asks, why don't you come here? Stay, stay with me. You know, this is this beautiful, it's a lovely home. And she has to decide whether she wants to carry on living like this or whether she wants to take this opportunity, you know, and all this time she's mourning and she's trying to adjust and her life has been turned upside down. And it's one of those films that, it doesn't really resonate with you on a level whereby you know anything about the life of a nomad. But if you're going through kind of, I suppose, any slight, you know, any hardship in your life, in a weird way, you do engage with it because there's just a sense of really feeling for her. I suppose really when you're stripped down to it, she's been forced to start a brand new life and she doesn't really know how to go about it. She's just off on that road. It's a bit of loneliness going on, isn't there? And it is lovely when Dave and Fern are together and you just really want them to hit it off and to stay with one another and comfort each other and have they seem to just get on very, very well. So, yeah. I also found that it's one of those films that I think if you're in a certain mood, it may bring you down. But the clever thing about the film is that whilst it's quite a sad tale, and you're right, there's huge elements of loneliness, but at its heart, for me, it's a really nice story of friendship and decent people. Decent people looking out for each other, decent people trying to help other people out. And I think from that point of view, I thought it was actually quite a life-affirming film from that point of view. And the ending doesn't really tell you too much as to what her future is going to be but it gives you enough to make you think she's going for it she's made you know she's made her decision and Mm. i think for all those people that she meets on the way who are all just they're all good people they're all just trying to help yeah it was it was really endearing and so in a strange way it was uplifting even though there was a lot of difficult things that fern's trying to deal with in her life that could have turned into something probably quite pressing I think what I found beautiful in it was the scenery. The places they stayed were absolutely stunning. So those were the kind of light moments, really. And you kind of understood why they were travelled from place to place as well. I mean, on occasions she was freezing in her camper van. But if you're in touch with the nature side, sounds very odd. I guess it's quite an appealing thing to do. I mean, I can imagine British people wanting to go over there just to travel with these people because it's just the scenery, the tours they do is breathtaking. I mean, Frances McDormand, this film is just completely geared for her. She is the producer as well for this film. On occasions, you kind of felt that she actually was, wasn't was even acting. Yeah. And many of the characters were actually nomads or travellers. And you'll see that if you look on IMDb, so um, Gay and Patty, their real names are actually Gay and Patricia. They're playing themselves. And you can see she's listening and learning about how they do things and getting to know the 
people and and that's not acting that she's actually doing that herself and i thought it was fascinating watching it and there was occasions where they had a little laugh and i thought that's just so natural yeah that's been shot made a really good point then i've never thought about this before is there are so many moments in this film where it's just two people talking but what makes it even more natural apart Mm. from the style and the acting is that it genuinely does look like they are intently listening to each other you know when you see actors just act out in a scene the way they do this is you really do feel you're just eavesdropping on a genuine conversation where two Mm. people are intently listening to each other I mean, she's had three Oscars now. This is Frances McDormand. She got an Oscar for three billboards in 2018. Before that, it was Fargo in 1996. She is just behind Catherine Hepburn, who has won the most amount of Oscars with four. So I reckon she'll either match or she'll beat Catherine Hepburn. She just seems to land these great roles as well. And I know she produced it and everything, so she was involved behind the scenes. But if she keeps doing this, she's, there's going to be more, I think, to come. And you mentioned Bob. Bob. You look on IMDb, Bob is Bob Wells. I think that is, Bob he's is the Bob. leader of the, he is the leader of that gang. That he wasn't necessarily acting either. So some of these characters are not characters. They're actually themselves in the film. I would have loved to hang out with Bob for a bit around, you know, around the campfire. <laughs> I did want to cut his beard though. Really just, just, yeah, around his neck. It was just <laughs> like, oh, you need a really good tidy up around that neck. Gosh. But what was also great about the film is that, that whilst there are moments that are very, um, dark or ponderous or just quite deep there are also just some quite light moments because it is so real you you just get the funny conversations things that go on as well as it's almost like part and parcel of actually just shooting something in an incredibly real way and you mentioned the landscapes which you're right there's no doubt about it it's almost like that was a character of the film they were amazing and the score that went with that I thought really lifted those moments mm. where you're just seeing Fern driving or you're just seeing Fern sitting there looking out and you can tell the cogs going on you know yeah. in her head they were all lifted so much by that soundtrack and by those land- landscapes and I'm a complete sucker for these kind of films that are just shot in this incredibly real way where <laughs> it doesn't seem to really be much actually happening I just yeah. love it those are the fine films that I just kind of get lost in because for me like cinema is so much often about entertainment and drama but I think they're also it's so important that you do get these films that almost just feel like they're just putting a mirror up to real life or they're putting a mirror up to, to to these things that are just going on in the world and although some people might find them yeah not not necessarily you know the most dramatic thing to watch I still find there's so much to take away from them yeah, there wasn't a, a plot though to this film. It just plodded along, and it was that's why I felt it's almost like a documentary style film because you're just following these group of travellers really and following Fern and who she meets and her sadness and having some potential happiness, which she so really hoped that she would have. Yeah. But nothing really, there was kind of not really a start or an end, so there's no no well, plot in it at all. There's no plot, aside from the fact she does revisit the town that she left where it all started. Yeah, she, mm. did, she did go back to, mm. you know, her unit or apartment, clearly where she shared that life with her husband. I think so much of the film was about her moving on from that period of her life. So it's uh, a nod. She went back there to, yeah. to almost like, yeah, I've moved on. Okay. A bit, bit of closure. Yeah. But you're right, from a plot point of view, it's, it's, not, mm. it's not really that kind mm. of movie. 
So because I felt there wasn't that plot, I'm I'm probably going to give it, hmm, it is a slight Marmite film. And I actually think I'm in the middle <laughs> of that, a little taster of Marmite. Some bits are light, some bits I thought, oh, come on, get on with it kind of scenario. So I am going to give it, I'm going to give it eight out of 10, actually. And I don't know if that's being harsh, but I just felt I wanted a plot. <laughs> No, I don't think it's harsh. I think that's exactly right. I'm glad you said you're in the middle because I thought you might be at the real Marmite end. So I'm so glad you're in the middle. I have said yeah. I'm at the right at the other end. I'm giving it a 10. But but because... Oh! But that's because it's because these films, I feel like often, I don't know, sometimes I watch these films, I just say, well, this is just made for me. The music's amazing. The scenery's amazing. The acting almost isn't like acting. Like you say, almost mm. like it isn't a film. It's documentary. It's so real. Can't get more real. It's dealing with some tricky themes, but there's also optimism in there. But, but that's because I just like these kind of films. <laughs> It's funny. I reckon if we listen back to us describing this film, it probably doesn't sound like it's a film I'm going to say, yeah, 10, but it is. Yeah, no, well, you fooled me because the last film that we reviewed, you said, you know, this was one of the best films you watched this year. So I know. I deliberately said it's one of the best films of the ones we've reviewed so far. Ah, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Ah, and then next came Nomadland. <laughs> I and I, well, I, I knew Nomadland. I knew I loved Nomadland as much as I did. And when I watched Sound of Metal, I was a bit like, okay, this is this is going to take some. And but I gave that nine and a half. But I did say I want to watch it again. With two tens. Yeah. You gave Sound. Oh, no, 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 no. They're, they're both great films, and that's why they're up for Oscars. I do find that myself sometimes not agreeing with the Oscar winners of best film and director. I think one year the favorite was one of them, and was certainly not my, one of my favorite films at all. Um, and is it The Birdman? I think I don't think I got on with that either. One year, and that won loads of Oscars. But I did like Nomadland, but I just yeah, just plodded along a little bit on occasions. Anyway, a ten is great score. I think that'll be a common theme for people when they watch it. I think they'll either love it or they'll think it plods a bit. I think that's totally fair enough. And for those people that like their cinema as high octane, high jinks, entertainment, comedy, puts a smile on your face, then yeah, you're not going to like it. Both films have an RV or a camper van though. Isn't that funny? Yeah, they, they do. Both... They yeah. do. How bizarre. Ooh. And only Hello. last week we were talking about how Bill and Ted's phone box time machine could have been an RV van, but it wasn't. <laughs> knew there was another yeah. RV van we've been talking about recently. <laughs> the connections. Exactly. So there we go. So we're now done with Oscars. We've chosen our film, haven't we? Our newbie. Yeah. Which is a film called Black Bear. So this was released last year on VOD now, and it is hour and 44 minutes. A filmmaker at a creative impasse seeks solace from her tumultuous past at a rural retreat, only to find that the woods summon her inner demons in intense and surprising ways. So directed and written by Lawrence Michael Levine, starring Aubrey Plaza, Christopher Abbott, Sarah Gaddon. And where can we get this? Because it's new, you can rent and buy it from most online channels at the moment. You're looking at Amazon, you're looking at Apple TV, Rakuten TV, etc. And Sky Store, of course, as well. And by all accounts, it's quite an unusual left field type of film. It's in the. It's actually down as comedy drama yeah. uh, on IMDb. It's, and we've also seen yeah. it under mystery and thriller as well. So it's quite an intriguing 
Mm, it's mixed reviews. I think on IMDb it's got something around six mark. Yeah. Then when you come to the Empire magazine, Black Bear has got four out of five stars. So I think it's another Marmite film. It could be. What will we give it? Wait and find out next week. Right, and then the oldie, all the genres are back in the hat, so we start yeah, again. So I'm, I'm picking one from you because you chose Bill and Ted last time out of mine. Okay, give me a genre. Adventure. Adventure. Okay, adventure. So I have 21 adventures. Number five, please. Number five is Back to the Future. Okay. Back to the Future with Marty McFly. I know. I mean, well, that's an absolute classic. With his Calvin Klein pants. Uh, So this is Michael J. Fox, of course, and Christopher Lloyd. This is from 1985. Marty McFly, a 17-year-old high school student, is accidentally sent 30 years into the past in a time-travelling DeLorean invented by his close friend, the eccentric scientist Doc Brown, directed and written by Robert Zemeckis. Now, where is this showing? It is streaming on Sky Go and Now TV, and you can rent and buy it from other online channels. Awesome. Awesome. Ah. Right. So that's the two films. Black Bear. I mean, so these are like a real chalk and cheese film. <laughs> Maybe we should watch Black Bear first, because if it's all just a bit too crazy and out there, you, you, you've always got the reliable Back to the Future to kind of come second. Is Back to the Future good for kids? I wonder what age it is. Oh, yeah, PG. It's well, PG. I mean, yeah, there's some romance in there, but I can't remember whether that romance, how inappropriate it is, but I don't think it's anything yeah. too serious. And this is the problem, you see, because I'm like, oh, well, that's a great one. That's a great one to watch with Noah, but I've got all these MCU films to watch. I'm intrigued to see what my boys would think of it, actually, whether they'd like it. I'm worried that they think, oh, it's old. It's an 80s film. Yeah, it's pretty cool, though. It's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, it is. It's got the tech. It's, it's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, it's, exactly. I think I think that will win them over because the time-travelling thing and the cool car and the... the guitar s- playing. Yeah, I, I think... I th- fine. We'll be fine. I think you'll be good. <laughs> Looking forward to both of those. So we're only a week away actually from the cinemas opening back up, which is going to be really strange. But actually, Sarah and I were having a look to see what's on. And I think it's going to take a while, isn't it, for any of the big releases to to arrive? Because obviously a lot of the Oscar films are being shown and some other kind of blockbusters, but nothing for me anyway that's going to actually make me rush back to the cinema right now. I think obviously the experience in the cinema is amazing because you've got a big screen, the amazing sound, the sweets and popcorn and, <laughs> and drinks and very comfortable seats as well and company. But I'm wondering, are we going to have to wear masks in the cinema, sat down watching the film? Because that really put me off if we are. Or is it a case you walk to your seat with the mask on and then you take it off? That's correct. When I remember going to the cinema briefly in that period between lockdowns and that was That's the drill. Do, that was the drill, yeah. Mm. Interesting when I listened to Mayo and Commode because they were talking about this, the cinemas opening. They actually have like a tour of cinemas that would normally be open and, and in their podcast show or radio show as well. 
And the Spectre summary on the, from a UK perspective on the cinemas, and apparently three have been struggling, but majority of the cinemas have actually been okay. So I think that's great news that majority of the cinemas are going to be open. There may be one or two that may have closed during lockdown because they, they haven't had the finances. But I'm looking forward to getting back to uh, my local cinema. However, I want to feel safe at the same time and, and not have anyone cough or sneeze on me behind me. <laughs> I think everybody watching a film is... if many coughs they're going to be like you know i guess it's the same as when you go in a train or shopping or something as well though however the films that i would like to see i'm I'm surprised they're not coming out over the summer actually is is the bond film the new bond i know that there's mortal Kombat that's being advertised as a new film on sky at the moment and that would have been probably a good one to watch on the big screen but i think they're going to need to going forward now we've had this experience of video on demand vod i think they're going to have to continue that and give people an option they can watch it at the cinema they watch it on their telly at home that particular interview you were talking about, Commode and May, I'd recommend anyone mm. to listen to because it it's really mm. fascinating insight into the commentary, really, on where we are with this whole VOD. And I thought there were some really interesting points that they were making how studios are going to have to decide whether they're making a film for VOD or whether they're making it for theatrical release. And whilst the big blockbuster films obviously have a place at the cinema or particularly immersive films. They were talking about how actually having a film in the cinema gives it a value and that value is what's used to determine how they then map out the VOD release, uh, you know, and the window between the two, I think, is going to yeah. become shorter. But I just yeah. thought what was really fascinating is that the idea that some films... It's a bit like straight to DVD films, isn't it? There's, there's going to be probably more films yeah. that are decent films that will just come straight to streaming. And what they were saying, what you might find is, is if they then pick up word of mouth or they then are, are a hit on VOD, they could then get a theatrical release. They said that's a mm. possibility, but it's more likely that a decision that will be made as to where they start off. And what I found interesting in that Mayo and Commode piece was that Amazon and Netflix are considered opening cinemas in the past in America. And I was thinking Netflix hasn't really had a lot of decent films to be aired, I don't think, on the massive screen. And I'm not sure whether people would actually go and watch it, but it was an interesting thought that they could see in years to come that they could have cinemas. I mean, Promising Young Woman was a Sky film, to my understanding. Well, I think it's a because uh, they were talking about how the rules have been changed mm. in terms of the legal standpoint on this, whereby it's possible now for, for Netflix mm. cinema to mm. open or a Disney Plus cinema or whatever you might. But I also found it interesting that Netflix apparently do have a cinema that they use, you know, like premieres to kind of showcase their films just as a way of attracting attention to their big releases. But I, I mean, they've had some great stars on some of the Netflix films, to be honest, as well. I am looking forward to having the cinema open, but as I said, I want to feel comfortable and safe. Well, also, you might find that this interim period where people may be wanting to kind of wait until they've got their Mm. second vaccination, you might find that now that we're getting into better weather, that the drive-in cinemas or the outside cinema experiences will kind of fill that gap until people feel comfortable, maybe. Yeah. I saw in an Empire magazine quite a few months ago as well, they showed what the future of the cinema looked like. And they had like pods, almost like space pods, you sort of, um, that you like the cryo chambers you get in Aliens. It's almost a bit like that, where you sort of lie down and you, you have two people in a pod. And I just thought, wow, that's amazing. And lots of these different pods in a cinema. I guess that would protect you a little bit more, but... <laughs> 
yeah. it's uh, a bit overkill, I guess. But it's a bit like um, Star Wars, where you have the emperors in in their little pods like that. It'll be like that watching a film. Oh yeah, well, the, well, the, the council meeting that. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But enclosed. <laughs> yeah, just like having your own private box, what the football match or royal yeah, box at the theatre. Yeah, just yeah. your own little yeah, kind but, of private but in, space. But it's it's like a capsule, though. Yeah. But as I said, probably in the future we'll be able to press a button and it'll just take you home, drive you there, and take you home. It's like a drive-through, but inside. Inside. Now you're talking. <laughs> right. <sighs> when you well. get my mind being creative, I come out with all sorts. <laughs> right. Anyway. Okay, well, look, it's been another good show. Two amazing films, two tens. That's incredible. I know. Very been good. a while. Been a while since I've had some tens. Cool. All right. Well, look, have a fantastic week, and I will see you for reviews of Back to the Future and Black Bear. Sounds great. And thanks very much, listeners. And next week is our fiftieth episode. Oh, it is, well. isn't it? It's oh, I think it's, bubble, it's bubbles again, I think. <laughs> it's bubbles again. We found quite a few reasons to have little celebrations recently, and I completely forgot that the next one is our 50th. <laughs> oh, amazing. Okay, right. I'm definitely, I'm putting the stops out. It's going to be more than bubbles. This time, there's going to be some party celebrations. Oh, right. Okay. I think we need to actually... Let's dress okay. up. Should we dress up in we... funny outfits? Our favourite our favorite character gear. All right. <laughs> No good. It's a fancy dress. It's a fancy <laughs> dress podcast. Yeah. And I think we need to maybe give each other a bit of a movie quiz or, or something. Something. Yes. Yeah. Why not? Why okay. not? And like our it. listeners can join in. Brilliant. Great. Right, Looking forward to it. Cheers, Rob. Thanks all. All right. See Bye. you next week. Bye. Bye.